welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 125 for Monday, January 25th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is the glowing Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Uh, if you'd like to find out why I'm so happy, uh, I spoke a little bit about the new living room setup in the render distance which is the extended version of the podcast you can become a member at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and get extra audio content every week absolutely join listen to the render distance and find our revelation that real life might actually be in bedrock edition uh and speaking of uh i'm i'm heading back into bedrock edition this week although i'm obviously heading back into java edition as well because i have i have finally ended my uh my hiatus uh from from just kind of hanging out with my wife now they are back in the uk and uh i i i came back into minecraft in style uh java edition style with uh friday's clash of the creators stream uh so this was a follow-up to the event that i'd taken part in i think a little bit before the holidays uh which was a advancement race between two teams of four this time around it was a mob hunt race between four teams of four so a completely different kind of category and uh one that i think people are expecting the folks who are more familiar with speedrunning to have an advantage going into this contest but if you consider the breadth of the amount of mobs in this game we were hunting down every single mob we could including variants and so that included all of the villager professions zombie villager professions all of the different varieties of rabbit all the different colors of sheep all of the nether mobs and everything else besides so we had uh, a lot of fun spending uh, two hours hunting down frantically anything we could in the uh, the overworld and the nether. I don't think anybody ended up making it to the end because the ender dragon kill would have been uh, <laughs> kind of a, um, I don't know, a, a feather in the cap of whichever team managed to do it. But gosh, it would have been difficult to do and concentrate on the objectives at the same time. Um, so my team was myself, uh, Azuma, Sliced Lime and Avomance from the Legacy server, I believe. So, uh, yeah, we had a, a pretty broad team uh, facing off against two teams composed entirely of Hermitcraft members and another team that was exclusively from the Legacy SMP. And we came second in the end, which I was really happy with. We we started off really strong, uh, fell apart a little bit towards the middle, but then had a really good comeback towards the end. So, in the end, uh, despite coming second place, I was still pretty happy with our performance. Nice. I... That kind of stuff is always really interesting. I I was tuning into one of Slice Lime's uh, streams this weekend, and he was playing stuck on a specific axis. I don't. I know I've mentioned this on the show before. I just don't remember whether whether it was render distance or the show proper. But um, those kind of like still Minecraft, but just setting up your own box of rules within the game really changed the vibe. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like the the 2D Minecraft format is really quite interesting to me. It's kind of like you're you're forcing yourself to play Terraria in Minecraft in a in a sense, which uh is is a little bit easier to do in Terraria because the world is set up for it whereas I can't imagine only being on one axis in Minecraft and and be and well two axes I guess technically if you want to get mathematical about it, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but only being able to dig down in a line and trying to find you know diamonds around where you are and you know get resources that way uh it must have been kind of a an interesting challenge so i think i'll have to to check those out myself so with your with your mob run there on last week like are you guys all on the same channel to talk was it push to talk like i mean how does that because i mean i do a lot of 
content with just one other person. But very seldom do I do podcasts with more than one pe- one person. But I've never done like a group stream. Yeah, I mean, each team was split up into their own individual voice channels. Uh, so the four of us were in one voice channel, and obviously the other teams okay. were the other teams were in different places and in different worlds, but all using the same world seed. And the fantastic thing the Monumenta team who put together the event have done is uh, connect all of them via a plugin, so we can see when each team gets each advancement because there's a, there was a custom advancement pack set up so that anytime anybody killed one of the mobs that was on the list then it showed up as an advancement and that's how they were able to track points we had a scoreboard that worked on basically uh you know every person's screen had everybody's everyone's score on it uh matched up and uh within our voice chat you know i'd mute myself if i was talking exclusively to my twitch chat but the rest of the time we were just mm. firing off like you know i'm gonna go and get this this is my objective i just killed a you know a, a pig let's you know avoid pigs from now on unless you need food keep going this way and and just kind of coordinating things on the fly from there we couldn't really plan strategy ahead of time because we hadn't seen the world seed before so it was really just going to be a matter of heading off in one direction as far as you could and seeing if you ran into a biome that had anything unique uh so yeah it was a, a really interesting challenge and a lot of fun uh doing something competitive uh once again do you did, did every team have a, a Mojang dev on the team? Because I feel like that would be at least a, a knowledge example advantage, right? It's like, what biome are we in? Oh, <laughs> sliced. What, yeah. What's in this biome that we need? It's it's you know? funny, but I I feel like most of us were so you know immersed in Minecraft in general that we probably knew the game about as well as Sliced Lime right. did. I mean, he he was quick to point out that he is the tech guy. He's the one who makes things run, you know, and he's what the one concerned about server performance and things like that. But as far as like actual features of the game and stuff, he doesn't really have a great deal of say. Like I I made a joke at one point about uh, putting in a feature request for blast furnaces to be able to smelt things other than ore blocks because i needed to make smooth stone faster uh, to craft something and he was like yep i'm really mad about that to be honest like <laughs> I, I would i would absolutely love blast furnaces to be able to smelt something else but you know not yeah. not something i get any say on but uh, yeah, yeah no, he was a really he was a really good sport about it as well and it was great to have him on the team Oh, that's fun, man! I it's fun. they they do on my server because data packs. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and I, yeah, I, uh, I I can see myself looking into that kind of stuff in future because uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I I just want I just want faster glass. That's really all I need. And trading with librarians doesn't always cut it. No, exactly. And I think for us, it's because I did the same thing recently with a a, a data pack that I'm still working on because it's just it's not hard, it's not difficult, it's just time consuming. And that is, I'm using the stone cutter as a wood cutter. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, the ratios are a little bit better for things like trapdoors, but most of the other recipes are basically the same. Yeah. It's just that it's faster to put a log into the stone cutter and get four stairs or, you know, or whatever, whatever it is. Like, I can't remember the number of planks that you would get, but in the same way that the stone cutter makes cutting stone stairs and slabs more efficient just for time and whatever. Um, I also like the noise better. So I just uh, will be using that. But it's not something we dropped into the server on day one. Like we've all had basically three and a half years of doing it the old fashioned way. So yep. it's like dues have been paid. I've been waiting with furnaces for ages. So I don't really mind, you know, making glass and ores and things melt like twice as fast in uh, in a, a blast furnace. I think I may have actually also had the increase of fuel consumption be the same. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's cheaper. It's just faster from a how much time do you have to play Minecraft this weekend perspective, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it definitely helps for for quality of life stuff, which I think is something that you're you're thinking about more and more once you've played the vanilla game for a, a longer period of time. Definitely. Um, yeah. And speaking of setting your own rules for things, because uh, yeah, have, having mentioned this a little bit earlier with the 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 challenge sliced line was doing, uh, my the rest of my weekend has been taken up by a Minecraft Dungeons speedrun tournament um, with with a very specific set of rules for that because. Uh, recently, the Minecraft Dungeon speedrunning scene has seen a couple of really interesting skips found. So uh, it was originally theorized that this was possible, but somebody found a way to do it so that you can uh, skip through different levels by just manipulating the way you put in inputs with a controller and a mouse. And it actually allows you to uh, start a level on one difficulty, like on the lowest possible difficulty, but then enter another level at the same time and so you load up a level that you're not even supposed to be in yet on difficulty level one um and so this has led to basically the world record for beating minecraft dungeons in the fastest time being cut in half and perhaps even less um and so i've been following the community a little bit uh we they didn't use the level skip glitch at all for this uh tournament that was happening over the over the weekend um, which was basically just the the heats to decide who is going to the semifinals and finals that are now going to be happening in in February. Uh, so there are now distinct categories for playing with level skips and without level skips because there would be no contest between the two of them. Uh, this all led to um, Mifa and another runner called Birdie, I believe, uh, beating Minecraft Dungeons in 14 minutes and 21 seconds on co-op <laughs> because the only levels what? they need to play are Creeper Woods, sort of the opening level, which usually gets them items that allow them to run through levels faster. You get Boots of Swiftness and that kind of thing. And then hitting up a couple of the uh, the levels with the optional bosses so that you can get hold of a couple of extra items. And then you basically go straight to Obsidian Pinnacle, the final level of the game, play that on difficulty one. You get weapons and stuff that can allow you to beat the boss in about five hits of a regular sword. And uh, they've got some tricks that allow them to skip through other sections of that level as well. Meaning that the world record for beating dungeons is now, yeah, like just over 14 minutes, which is <laughs> which is wild to me as somebody whose first playthrough took about six hours. But then again, yeah, I was I don't... leaving no stone unturned at that stage. I don't think I've completed a level in less than 14 mm -hmm. minutes. Right? Including yeah. the tutorial. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, maybe the tutorial is a bad example because you're kind of going slow and learning. But like things like Creeper Woods or other things, like I, I know I haven't completed anything in, in less than a half an hour because I'm like you, no stone left unturned, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which is pretty much the antithesis of speedrunning. They're just trying to com yeah. complete everything in the fastest time. And they, they have it down to a really kind of specific formula, the kind of stuff they want to get throughout the run. And in a tournament setting, it was a little bit different because obviously they couldn't just reset if they didn't get the gear they wanted. So right. there are a couple of like safety strategies like uh, picking up the vendor in Creeper Woods so that you could get items uh, and, and have like a broader selection to choose from. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, a kind of best of three format. So, um, you know, they, they would run a match against each other and the person with the quicker time would win out and then they'd go to a second match. And if that person won the second match as well, that'd be it. Um, the first two matchups we had between uh, the first four runners basically came down to one person sweeping and, and winning two games on the trot. But then the second day we had... An another two groups of runners play and they 
both went to the deciding match. They both they both ended up doing three matches. And so we really got to see a, such a broad stroke of how badly the game can go for, for some of them because some of them were getting really bad luck in terms of the equipment that they wanted. They were getting really low power items and so they were going into the final stages of the game really underpowered and getting the snot beaten out of them in some areas. So yeah, a really, really interesting time and great fun hosting uh, some of these guys who are, who are all good folks and uh, yeah, fantastic sports when it comes to this stuff so we're going to be seeing the return of that sometime uh in the first i think the first weekend of february is where we've slated it for so uh, interesting yeah keep keep an eye out for that so do you have i mean it doesn't have to be exact but a ballpark idea of what the average run is like are they all under 20 minutes and then the 1421 is just like the fastest or were there a wider range well, without level skips, I'd say the range kind of went between 30 and 40 minutes. Um, okay. And a lot of the time, with uh, if they were trying for world record attempts, they would probably get the gear that they got on some of these runs and then just restart immediately because it wasn't what they wanted. A lot of the time they said when you're leaving Creeper Woods, if you get a boot of swiftness from that pig that drops loot halfway through the level, and then you get a boot of swiftness at the end of the level, so you can use both of them to run through the next set of levels really fast, that's when you know you're on pace to potentially, you know, hit one uh, of the, the, the kind of podium okay. positions on the leaderboard. But then if you don't get those, you basically just reset because you know you've got no chance of beating some of the faster times. And yeah. so a lot of the time when you watch them practice on Twitch, half the time they don't even leave Creeper Woods because if they don't get the items they want, they just go back in with a new character and try again. Uh, so yeah, it can, it can be a bit of a grind when it comes to that stuff, but obviously if they're aiming to beat a time higher than, you know, or less than 28 minutes, then obviously they've uh, got, a, got a lot of stuff to do. Most of the runs we saw yesterday i think came out to about yeah 35 minutes on average um which is still very fast obviously but yeah nowhere near any of the uh the world record levels at this point i'm having a giggle over cosmic and ginger in our live chat discussing who would be the slowest runner <laughs> yes in well, terms in terms of the, the new slow run competition like who can take the longest time to get yes. through the game i mean i think i've already <laughs> done that with the Bethist steve playthrough as well <laughs> maybe yeah it's um, like digging your we're digging your way out of jail with a spoon right absolutely uh but that, that's that's my weekend and i'm probably going to get back into java minecraft stuff this week so i'll have a little bit more to say next week uh how about you joel what have you been up to in minecraft this week i have built my first drawbridge and i am very proud of it i'm really happy with the way things are going on the citadel i uh, it's been a little while since i've been gripped by a build by a project where i just cannot wait to get back on stream and um, for those of you that don't know i do i really don't play minecraft offline i tend to only play it when i'm streaming uh, just time constraints and etc and um and plus it's fun to share all this kind of stuff with viewers and listeners and uh i i had some reference. I, I've got a Pinterest board. Um, it's just my name on Pinterest for anybody that wants to have some quick reference because it's all public. It's all easy to find. Uh, and um, I've, I wasn't modeling it after any one particular thing. It was more like, let's look at a bunch of different towers, a bunch of different drawbridges. Uh, I saw one uh, that like a gate to a keep, which is what this is. And then I, I completely forgot. Oh, right. Sometimes moats don't have to have water in them. Sometimes they can just be a giant ditch, right? It's just meant to slow, you know, adversaries down and get them in a position where they're low and you're high and they're done, right? And and so um, I've waited long enough now in the game that we've got things like the grindstone and actual chains uh, and uh, logs and barrels and barrels that look like they have metal strapping around them that look like reinforced, you know, logs for holding up a drawbridge. And uh, I'm really quite happy with the way that it, it turned out. Uh, I, I feel like 
although I know I, I, I kind of rib Minecraft a little bit for leaning very heavily into medieval, you know, castles and things, um, because I'm now building that way. I'm quite enjoying the, the palette that I get to work with. Uh, and it's, it's come out, um, quite well. Uh, and then we moved on to, um, the keep, uh, and, and did like a lot of designing. It's been slow going because I'm not sure if you've done this and you might be able to chime in actually because of your giant castle and because of uh, old town and what you've got going on on uh, the survival guide. Uh, I've not been building kind of like any one thing through to completion with the exception of maybe the front gate. Yeah. Uh, I've been sort of bouncing around the town and doing a little bit here, a little bit there. And even on this keep, this keep is such a big build. I'm not just doing the main hall. It's like, well, let's get to the main hall to the point where I've made enough design decisions that I can then decide how tall I want the towers to be next to it. Uh, I've put in the floor. You can't really see it in the screenshots that I've shared, but I used um, something that I did find on Pinterest. I, I really cannot claim I came up with this idea. I wish I did, but it's a combination of furnaces blast furnaces and polished basalt in a floor pattern and it looks amazing mm -hmm. it's it's such a cool pattern and it's repeatable like it's a it's like a five by five tile pattern that you just repeat and um it's really really cool uh, i'm really happy with it i'm glad i found it on pinterest and like just doing stuff like that and having the knowledge now uh to what's the, what's the word i'm looking for like tweak like not sub block but like little things like knowing that if you put enough stairs stacked on top of one another your fences will not attach to them mm -hmm. and so you can get a portcullis that doesn't attach to the walls you know just those minecraft knowledge tricks that are old enough and you've been playing the game long enough that you can really make things look almost as if they could move you know um, because it's not a working portcullis of course but i do have a portcullis in the in the main gate and it is designed as if it could work uh and i'm i'm pretty thrilled with the way that it, it, it turned out um i've had some challenges with the main hall in terms of design and trying to figure things out and a person in my chat reminded me that you know most staircases in medieval builds would be up towers they'd be spiral staircases yeah. inside of towers and i was like oh because i i was having trouble like i wanted to put this nice big staircase in it to get to the second floor but i didn't want to sacrifice the back wall which would probably be either something really decorative like a big tapestry or maybe a big window would be nice uh, but it i realized now that you know the stairs being there was going to obstruct that but of course now we've moved the stairs into a tower and uh you know the only drawback so far that's a bit of a sacrifice for the function of stuff like that is that i find that a lot of my towers have to be a little bit more squat uh, I'm not a fan of like the one wide spiral staircase in Minecraft yeah. because I find like I just get dizzy <laughs> going up and down it. Um, so I've made it too wide and it's less of a spiral and more like a three tier, like a, a, a three flight kind of 180. Um, but I think it's more pleasant to go up and down that way. Um, but it's, it's been super fun. I've had a lot of great input from the chat. Some people that are very knowledgeable about castle design either having built castles before in minecraft or they're just they like that kind of stuff they probably play D D, so they know you know the terminology they know things like the towers and the stairs or they'll say like oh hey like where's your kitchen going to be it's like oh that's a good call i didn't you know never thought about that you know stuff like that that we've been able to kind of like slowly plan and adjust and it's been an interesting experience to plan it with your knowledge of minecraft so far 
as to how you want it to go and then having to make adjustments on the fly when you're like, okay, well, I need this tower of stairs to go here. That's where I was going to put the kitchen pantry. So we have to find a new place for that. And in some ways it actually works out better. Like I I know we talk an awful lot about the the puzzle nature of Minecraft, the the ability to um trying to think like just you you're more creative when you have some restrictions yeah and so having built you know this thing with this the hall size and player scale and having this wall i'm okay with moving the wall like a block or two just to make it look nice but i don't want to move the the wall six blocks i kind of said like this is the edge i don't want the keep to be larger than this and so i'm trying to work within that space and making design sacrifices when like you know the roof angle looks good but then parts of the wall stick up through the roof so you can't use it that way like so it's it's been a really fun experience i've really been enjoying the time time working on it yeah it's kind of it's an interesting challenge working with player scale for stuff like that and also working with things that feel comfortable because obviously for those like thinner medieval spiral staircases you're talking about player scale would dictate that this is probably not going to be more than one meter wide like i've been Mm -hmm. to some castles around the uk where you can climb the towers and the staircases are not only narrow they're also very steep and so you know it's the kind of thing that you are stepping up basically like you know 40 or 50 centimeter steps um and so it's you really have to stride to get up some of them but obviously in minecraft that more or less equates to you know the the height of a normal slab anyway but you're looking at slabs which are also a meter long which these steps wouldn't be and so it's it's kind of you have to take a few liberties anyway but also you probably want to broaden them a little bit because otherwise you're just kind of fiddling around with your wasd or like turning the mouse constantly to get up there it's sort of it doesn't quite feel as comfortable to play through as it you know might look realistic so yeah you do have to make a few design compromises there but it sounds like you've uh, you've got it dialed in at this point and from these screenshots it certainly looks like you do thanks yeah i mean i think a lot of people when they think tower would think a three by three inside space you know like a single column up the middle and then just your stairs and your your flat blocks going around the outside yeah i've got a five by five inside space the tower mm-hmm. itself is seven by seven but then i've got a five by five inside so my staircase is two blocks wide and it feels way more comfortable. Uh, and the landings are two by two. And again, it just, it does not feel quite as claustrophobic. So just, I I think we've talked about that before with like, you know, why it doesn't feel like you're going through a meter thick wall in Minecraft. It's because you're, you walk faster. Like you, yeah. your walking speed is faster than the average human in real life. Definitely. And I, and I, yeah. And I think that that's true of going into smaller spaces. That's why a one by two meter space in minecraft which would feel small in real life but not claustrophobic feels like you're touching the walls (laughs) yeah absolutely like you can it feels like your your shoulders are dragging down the sides in a one one by two mine shaft right so um but yeah it's it's been it's been a really good experience and i i'm picking some some tips and tricks from other people like i the roof ridges that i added to the keep uh i definitely stole those from mythical sausage Mm -hmm. (laughs) so tip my hat to all the people that i've been inspired by over the last little while um i think a lot of the barrel work, I'm sure I've seen Whip do. So like for people, if people want to know some really cool tricks, like really simple things that you can do to make your medieval stuff look that much more intuitive and thoughtful, I would check out Whip and Mythical Sausage. Like I, I definitely have been going to their Pinterest boards and going like, oh yeah, that's how he did that. Okay. Mm. And not necessarily copying the build, but thinking like, all right, well, I like how he handled that roof or I like how he handled that signpost you know like just the subtle things that i'm not i'm not so good at the sub block stuff so i I need practice with that 
Yeah, no, I will happily second both of those recommendations, uh, so absolutely. Um, before we move on to the news, I want to highlight one more thing that I saw this week, and it kind of goes back to one of our previous discussions about how the end could be updated in future while maintaining the kind of desolate vibe and updating it in exciting ways. I, I thought we often jump to flora and fauna instead of considering the terrain itself, and that was prompted by... Uh, this fantastic post on Reddit by Mateozaki27, uh, which I think was just titled Good God at the time, uh, but they generated a custom end dimension with some more of the topography and terrain variety that you might see in something like a shattered savanna or a mountains biome in the overworld. And so a lot of the end landscape has been replaced by stone with just a covering of end stone over the top but there is an end city amidst all of this and it's kind of surrounded by this mountain range with chorus fruit growing here and there and i really like the way that looks um and i i do wonder if potentially as they take a look at the end and updating that in future after the success of the nether update this is uh potentially a direction they could consider going because after all if you think about the end sort of being the closest thing we have to outer space or the moon when you actually consider the landscape of the moon the seas and craters that it has and impacts from asteroids and that kind of thing i feel like a landscape like this might even feel a little bit more space-like and like you're exploring a more alien landscape than it would be with everything just being open and flat the whole time I'm going to let the Marvel nerds correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the planet in Guardians of the Galaxy is called Nowhere. And it's like a weird gravity anomaly where like, it looks like the planet's in pieces yeah. and everything is kind of held together by like some sort of anomaly. And so there's a lot of stuff that's just kind of like floating around. I want to say this was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but like this kind of thing really makes me think about... Uh, and this is a big if, if there's a big terrain or world height change with caves and cliffs, does that mean that the other dimensions, specifically an easier dimension to change, like the end, could have a much higher Y value uh, and thus uh, allow for islands above one another, below, uh, like you could have a couple of hundred blocks of of floating islands vertically as opposed to of what is essentially a pretty even plane of floating islands. Yeah. Uh, that, that could create a whole new, a whole new way to get lost. Yes. A whole new way to get lost <laughs> and potentially a way to save yourself. If you're unfortunate enough to start falling into the void, which I'm sure right. has happened to most of us <laughs> at yeah. this point. Having longer to save yourself in that would be good. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the news though, because we have a bit of news. We have the first snapshot of 2021 and, uh, I think it's we're welcome uh, wel welcoming back the the development cycle and uh, getting some some new stuff to play around with in Java Minecraft at least. So we have Minecraft Java Edition snapshot twenty one W O three A. Once again, link to the change log and all of the patch notes uh, is going to be in the show notes at Minecraft.net. Uh, it has added the glow squid. Uh, <laughs> controversial. Uh, the glow squid does not yet spawn naturally. You can find spawn eggs for them in the creative inventory. Glow squids are, uh, as it says in the changelog, well lit and can be seen from even far distances. When they are killed, 
glow squids drop glow ink sacs. Glow ink sacs can be used on signs to make the text super visible even at night, and it also works with colors. If you can, cra you can craft a glow item frame by combining a glow ink sac with an item frame in a crafting table, and any item in a glow item frame is, once again, perfectly illuminated even at night. Using an ink sack on the sign will remove the glowing effect, and axolotls will attack any glow squids they see, so glow squids beware. This update has also added Glow Lichen, which is actually nothing to do with the Glow Squid, it's a separate block, a dim light source that generates in caves, can be obtained by using shears, similarly to vines, and bone meal can be used to spread it along block surfaces. Uh, one other thing that's been added in this update is a crafting recipe for dripstone blocks, which can now be crafted from four pieces of pointed dripstone, and there are a bunch of bugs, a lot of them related to shulkers, um, which uh, are listed in full on the blog post at minecraft.net. Uh, Minecraft Bedrock Edition also saw a beta release for this uh, Caves and Cliffs update, so the first Bedrock beta of the year has arrived, containing two features from the upcoming Caves and Cliffs update, dripstone blocks and skulk sensors. Once again, these features are still work in progress, and you can access them by joining the beta and toggling the experimental features toggle in the settings. Do you want to just grab the, the squid by the tentacles and discuss the, the, the big one in the room? I mean, yeah. This is the voted mob. How do we feel about the glow squid? I like the way it looks. You know, I mean, it, does, I, it doesn't look like it changed a whole lot since we saw it at Minecraft Live in the fall. Um, and I was fine with it then. I, I mean, it, you can see it from far away. I, I'll put a giant disclaimer here. I spent maybe 10 minutes in the snapshot. Um, and because you have to spawn them in, I don't think they currently generate naturally in deep oceans yet, right? Yeah, no, you, you only spawn them in using spawn eggs right now. So yeah, right. they're, 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 I, I expect they will be in deep oceans. They are planned to be in deep oceans. But uh, yeah, they, they don't spawn naturally anywhere. Presumably because, I mean, terrain might still be a factor here. They might still be waiting to see where this stuff spawns. They might be deciding, if is it going to spawn in caves or not? Uh, so right. yeah, potentially we'll end up seeing uh, a variety of locations for it once it's uh, fully integrated. They don't look as derpy as regular squids uh mm. regular squids have like the white eyes kind of like wall-eyed look um these ones have i guess glowing eyes uh yeah. and it's harder instead to of see the, the face instead of the incredibly toothy mouth as well they have a kind of glowing orb uh at the base of them by the tentacles so that mm -hmm. i think that i think tends to provide a bit of a a bit of a different look maybe slightly less threatening look than the squid because i've seen a lot of people who are newer to minecraft see the the toothy maw of a regular squid and assume that that's something that's going to eat them when in actual mm. fact squids are the most passive things and have beaks not yeah. <laughs> not teeth right <laughs> like, so squids little, not kraken you know yeah, a, a little bit of creative license there being taken by yeah. the uh the, the art team i don't know if it's temporary or not but uh it is the same model as far as the geometry goes unless there's something subtle that i miss but i think it's i even thought at first it might have had more tentacles but it's the same uh uh so i was hoping that it might be something a little bit different like you know some some squids are technically i think all squids two of their 10 tentacles are longer than the mm -hmm. other eight uh and that would have been kind of cool to see but i also i also understand that you know there might be some limitations there in terms of how the squids animate because they do still have even though they look better than regular squids they have the same derpy animation uh yeah. they the one the i spawned one in and it kind of went in circles in one block for about a minute before it did anything else and it was like okay this is a little bit wonky um and so i'm thinking to myself they probably also have the tendency to beach themselves the same way that regular squids do 
Um, although we may not see it as often because one of the issues that I find with squids is that they're often um, running ashore in rivers, whereas you don't see it quite as often in oceans because they have a little bit more room to pathfind to. Uh, and so because glow squids, I believe, are only going to be in oceans, not rivers as well, uh, although they might, like you said, they might spawn in caves. Um, it, it, to me, hopefully will lead to an eventual kind of rework of maybe the pathfinding or the animations on, on the squids. They're not quite so, we'll say immersion breaking, you yeah. know, like I, I find that like there's other animals like say fish that still, well, they'll still die if they get into these weird situations where the, you know, the water block is doing something funky, but most of the time the fish don't kind of beat their head into the sand until they die. Whereas I find squid tend to do that quite often. Yeah, yeah, it would definitely be a uh, an appropriate time to revisit the way squid move for sure. But um, yeah, I think the main difference with these is the particles that they generate. They they aren't so much glow as sparkle squids is how I've been thinking of them because <laughs> they kind of give off almost end rod style particles, little kind of star or diamond shaped kind of particles as they go, which I think is quite an attractive effect. Like it 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 was actually quite pleasing to watch, and people were joking around about whether or not they were going to hypnotize players or not and whether that was actually going to be an in-game effect but to be honest they were just much more pleasant to look at than regular squid so like you i think i uh, i like the texture quite a lot and i think the the particles are kind of fun uh hopefully we won't see too many of them introducing too much lag and so forth but um i think that's the kind of thing that potentially you can turn off in menu settings and things like that um i'm excited by the glow squid having actual drops with functionality and our main discussion topic later is gonna uh focus a little bit more on these but um i feel like glowing sign text is kind of cool they recently added obviously all of the different dye colors for text on signs but there are ultimately very few combinations of text and wood color for signs that actually go together well enough that they are readable which is obviously a problem for things like accessibility but also maybe doesn't afford the level of customization that players would want from signs enter this glowing ink that now allows you to effectively turn the brightness all the way up and hopefully increase the readability of that text also allow you to read text at night which is going to be good for map making or you know just bases with signs everywhere if you want to do a little bit more uh, stuff with lighting or if you're leaving areas unlit still being able to read the sign text on your build chests that are out there in the middle of nowhere during the night is going to be potentially a really good change i played around with this very briefly and i mean for the lack of a better way to put it it was night and day yep. like i did a, a, a dark oak sign with white text which you could not read at night without a torch nearby like it was nearly discernible uh uh yeah it was like you it was very very hard to see the white text didn't necessarily glow uh it doesn't it doesn't cast a light it doesn't look like it's neon but it's like the brightness has been turned up glowing item frames are also really cool for that i think the main thing we're going to see these used for is people who want uh even lighting on map walls because right now to light up a map so that all of the lighting on it is even without light sources you know coming from all over the room casting different shadows on them you you do have to light them from behind and so you'll find a lot of map walls get put onto glowstone or or sea lanterns or anything that you can use as a lighting block to support the item frame and now you can effectively do that without the light sources at all um which 
you know, it, it, it's it's kind of weird. Again, this is the thing we're going to get into in the main discussion. It's still kind of weird to me that um, the item frames don't actually give off any kind of block light, but hopefully we'll start to see this being used in fun ways. And um, I've seen a lot of people asking for uh, the glow ink to do more, like, uh, for example, having uh, dyed wool uh, also glow so that um, you know, you, you, anything else that you can apply dyes to could also have the ink applied to it, and um, you know, you could potentially use those as light source blocks as well. Um, I'm I'm not entirely sure about that as a suggestion because I'd argue wool is maybe the least useful thing to convert into a light source. We already hide light sources under carpets all of the time, uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, you've got wool, you can potentially hide a light source under carpet, and it's not going to look much different. Um, it's also kind of difficult to tell where a light is coming from if it's just applied to a regular block. And I think this is why they've resisted putting, like, you know, having glowstone dust increase light from a block or something, like like how uh, Carpenter's Blocks, the mod, does it, where you can just effectively add glowstone dust to one of these blocks and it acts like a custom light source. I think it is then difficult to tell where that is coming from if there isn't any kind of visual or aesthetic change. Whereas mm-hmm. these glow item frames very much look like they're glowing. And well, and I should point out because this took me a minute to figure out. I put a glow item frame down, and I was just like, "I don't see the difference." And it took me a minute. You have to put an item in it. Yeah. And it's the item that glows, not yeah. the item frame. And you, I was like, "Oh, okay, you'll, that's you'll weird." You'll also absolutely see a difference if you put them underwater or in caves, <laughs> because okay. yeah, like again, they don't produce block light, so it's kind of weird. But you effectively have something that looks like it is unaffected by the darkness of the space around it. Putting them like on the surface, you're not really going to be able to tell the difference. But at night or in a cave, definitely the difference is is noticeable. Put a regular item frame next to a glow item frame, and then set the world to night, and you will you will easily be able to tell which is which yeah i the thing i was curious about because they don't really give off much i was kind of hoping i don't think it's i don't think it's like light level seven i think it's more like three i'm thinking to me it's more like the kind of um light that you would see from like an ender chest i think gives off three or is it five um yeah i think i think it's three it's pretty low it is low yeah and um, I've got a map wall in our modern city, and as you you know mentioned, it's got um, sea lanterns behind the whole thing, just because that was the easiest way to make it look good, uh, and and provides light into a, a nice a nice build room uh, at nighttime. If this gave off more light, so if it was a brighter thing, there are some real opportunities for people that wanted to create their own map art to create their own light source designs. Uh, anything from you want text on a screen on a computer screen you want uh, a bigger display like maybe you've created a battleship or a sci-fi scene and you want to um you know use that to to have some sort of like glow effect or i just think like doing something in the end where you've got the void making like a a custom map uh, and then using specific texture designs to create shapes you could probably do some very cool stuff with these glow item frames um, from a build perspective as as like a, a really awesome detail. It would take a long time because you're dealing with 128 by 128 design, uh, but it would be very cool. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the amount of interest there's been in cyberpunk builds and having like a 
uh, a sort of holographic marquee around the front of a building that doesn't have to be made out of individual blocks and can be lit that way. I feel like it's it's not out of the range of what players can do right now. The glow item frame just makes it a little bit more convenient. And if you have a one block thick wall, you don't have to have that have like lighting blocks set into oh, it the entire time. Yeah. You know, there's 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 some potential there yeah. that's gonna gonna lead to a couple of little quality of life things for builders really. Um, moving on from this, just so we don't you know cannibalize our main discussion for later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not entirely sure I see the point of crafting dripstone blocks right now without a way to farm pointed dripstone, because what we're seeing here is you know the 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 reverse of what I would expect because the the pointed dripstone is really the more functional of the two, and while I can understand you know wanting to be able to craft a block. I don't see the dripstone block as a particularly desirable one, whereas pointed dripstone is the one that can produce lava and water sources and can potentially damage mobs and, you know, could be used for traps and all of that kind of stuff. So I would like to see the reverse happen, if possible, and have a way for dripstone to, if not be crafted, then at least form renewably. People have pointed out that maybe having a water source above a block of dripstone could lead to the dripstone glowing as though, you know, it's effectively forming out of the mineral deposits coming from the the water coming through porous rock, which would be an effective way to do it, and I think is maybe going to rely on dripstone being more integrated into, you know, future designs of caves and terrain generation as it plans to be changed. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of curious that they haven't got a way to craft pointed dripstone but they have a way to obtain dripstone blocks it sort of seems backwards I, to me i agree i think i think a, a a water source above a dripstone block should create pointed dripstone going down out of that block to a certain point you know whether it reaches a point where it won't grow anymore whether that's seven blocks or whatever uh and then the player can decide do i want to leave it there and then get free water uh, and collect it with a cauldron at the bottom or do i want to harvest the dripstone and let the whole thing start all over again um yeah. time consuming but if you have enough of them then it's the kind of thing like you it's like bamboo you know you plant three and then you go do something else for an hour and then when you come back you've got enough for lots of scaffolding you know definitely yeah yeah it's, i i'm interested to see how this stuff develops and obviously this is just uh, an early snapshot for the year we're potentially looking at some of the more long-awaited features like cave generation and stuff being touched hopefully within the next couple of months once again i'd encourage people not to rush the devs on this kind of thing but yeah, we know they've been working on it lady agnes has tweeted screenshots of working on lush cave generation uh towards the end of last year so hopefully we'll see some of that soon and we'll have more to bring you in future episodes Moving on into email, we can uh, get those from spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. So if you'd like to write in with your thoughts about the Glow Squid, please do so. Uh, We've got the first email coming in from Cyberfolk, uh, and this is a quick response to Mob Switch clarifications. Hi guys, big fan. Just to clarify about Mob Switches, they work by filling in the mob cap, typically by moving hostile mobs which don't despawn into the spawn chunks. They've moved into our podcast? Oh, no, wait. I, 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 see, I see where you're going. <laughs> I see what you did there. This only stops new hostile mobs from spawning. They don't cause existing mobs to automatically despawn. You guys were also talking about using game rules to simulate this. There is already a game rule. It's do mob spawning equals false. 
Il Mango has a great recent video about mob switches and uh, Cyberfolk provided the link, which we will have in the show notes as well. Yeah, um, my understanding was that previous mob switches have been made using uh, despawnable mobs, as you said. So uh, shulkers were one example of that. Uh, vindicators from woodland mansions that were effectively tagged to not despawn. Um, and more recently, I think zombified villagers have been used because uh, Mojang has fixed any issues where villagers that you'd already traded with and were zombified would then be just a, a hostile mob that would despawn under normal circumstances. Uh, so zombie villagers are potentially an easier way to farm mobs that you would uh, put into a mob switch instead of having to go to the lengths of transport that vindicators and shulkers require. Um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting thing and, and still something that I might dip into in future. Um in response to the the game rule thing, the problem with the do mob spawning game rule is that it disables all mob spawning, and that doesn't doesn't differentiate between hostile mobs and others. It it, it means that you don't get any, uh, you know, sheep and cows and so forth spawning in your world either. So while it's good for testing environments, it's really not great for you know just running a game rule and disabling it on your server. I don't think that's what Cyberfolk was suggesting, but um, yeah, like to to test stuff like that, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and it also applies across all biomes, if you apply the game rule, and all dimensions, whereas hostile mob switches potentially apply per dimension and also work within individual mob caps. So I don't know if guardians are technically an overlap between hostile mobs and aquatic mobs, but I have a feeling that you would still get guardians spawning if you had a hostile mob switch disabling, you know, stuff like creepers and skeletons and, and most of the mobs you'd normally encounter caving in the overworld. Um, likewise, you wouldn't see sheep and cows and so forth not spawning elsewhere in the world because you had a bunch of zombie villagers in your spawn chunks. So, yeah, I, I think that there's a little bit more nuance to this. And, yeah, it, it's useful to have new hostile mobs not spawn for sure. I've been watching a lot of Doc M recently for Hermitcraft, and he's building a tunnel bore right now, so a, an automated redstone slime block flying machine that can duplicate tnt and use it to blast out a large area underground but of course the problem then is he's creating a lot of caves which then leads to uh you know unlit areas where hostile mobs can spawn and he talks about really wanting to build a mob switch on the server that he could switch on and off whenever he goes into building flying machines like that and it would mean not encountering creepers that could potentially ruin hours upon hours of work you spent building this fairly complicated but ultimately very fragile redstone contraption yeah, I was looking at things like mob switches, and I feel like it's still, to me, a, a larger hassle. You know, like, I, I don't know what would take less time, like, just sealing up the thing that I'm working on in the nether so that no mobs come in, uh, or having a mob switch. And just for uh, for my own clarification, and this is because I don't delve into this, I don't know, um, would a mob switch in the spawn chunks affect the nether too, or does the mob switch have to be in the nether? I have a feeling nether mobs might have a separate mob cap, and it also depends because zombie pigmen are technically maybe neutral mobs, but they still count under the hostile mob cap, so there is there is some variety there. Uh, it also depends if you're on a single-player world or a server and whether the spawn chunks are still loaded when you go into other dimensions, which on a server they would be, but on a single-player world I believe they aren't unless you have certain settings enabled. So, yeah, there's a, a variety of things that are potentially standing in the way of you using them most effectively we have a pretty knowledgeable community and uh, christopher in our chat says correct mob cap is per dimension 
Yeah, yeah. So you'd have to make a, an individual one specifically for the Nether if you wanted that to happen. And yeah, there's there's some some interesting nuance to this, but it's obviously something you want to look into really late game and only then if you're attempting the kind of projects that you don't want hostile mobs around for under any circumstances, which I find is rare enough for me that I feel like it's not necessarily worth the hassle. Yeah, and with us on the Citadel, we've got several hostile mob farms that would just break, you know, if there was no no mobs spawning in them and we'd you'd have to with a server you just have to up the communication behind the scenes and make sure making sure that you know if you're going to use a mob switch that everybody is very good about turning it off when they're done using it that sort of thing yeah yeah it's the, it's the kind of thing that it, it is novel that it exists and I'm, I'm sure for various technical players it's worthwhile to have but even around my museum to be honest like it would be nice if creepers didn't spawn and potentially blow up my exhibits but I still feel like it's on me if that happens. I've been playing the game long enough that I think I can handle a couple of creepers or at least be able to repair the damage fairly easily if they do any. And that aside, it means that if I can gather a little bit of XP if I need to, if I uh, manage to, if I end up avoiding sleeping for whatever reason, I can pick up a bit of XP from those. That can repair my elytra a little bit if I've been flying around a whole bunch. You know, sometimes having that stuff around while maybe inconvenient to have to stop and fight some stuff ultimately ends up giving you some reward at the end of the day it's it's a more desirable experience than you might think moving on to our next email though this one comes in from atom balm who is a landscape artist member of our discord thanks so much for the email the subject here is the copper aging mechanic Hey, Double J. <laughs> that's, our, that's our new band name, apparently. Uh, Atom Balm from the Discord here. I've been sitting on this idea for a minute, so please forgive the lateness, but I have a balanced work rewards solution to the weathered copper issue. I'm also a Bedrock-only player, so please forgive my Java ignorance. My idea for the time management problem most players are voicing about the copper aging process is to, one, place a first stage copper block anywhere you want, two, wait until it oxidizes to the degree you want, Three, wax it to preserve the oxidation stage. Four, place copper blocks adjacent to the waxed block. Copper blocks placed adjacent to a waxed block would age no further than the adjacent waxed copper block, no matter how much time passes. Five, wax the new stalled copper blocks. Six, place more unwaxed copper blocks adjacent to new waxed copper blocks. And seven, repeat until you have the amount of weathered copper blocks at the stage that you want. I think it's a good work versus reward balance as well as a simple solution, meaning it doesn't require complicated redstone or otherwise technical solutions. Chunk deuce, atom balm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that uh, creative sign-off. Now, um, yeah, I misunderstood this at first. I was thinking it was just going to be you wax one block and then you can place a maximum of six blocks around it at a time and then you'd have to break those and replace them. But I think what atom balm is suggesting here is that those blocks would then be waxed and then you could place even more next to those and just kind of exponentially grow the amount of copper that you had i think the the main idea here is that waxed copper effectively acts as a a stall for any anything else that's aging around it so if you have uh semi-weathered copper that's waxed any copper blocks you place adjacent to it only get to that semi-weathered stage and then i guess take on more of the waxed property if they're adjacent to those blocks. It's an interesting concept, Joel. How do you feel about this one? I like the thought behind it. Like I like the work versus reward um, rule, you know, of like I wanting to come up with a solution, but not having it be a make easy button, right? Uh, one thing I was thinking about, which I don't know, 
is how technical is the clock once you place down a copper block for it to be weathered? Because if you, if it's very precise, then if you have one semi-weathered copper block and you place a copper block next to it and just wait a second and then place the other one, then as each one weathers, it will essentially lock itself kind of like down the line like dominoes. Mm-hmm. So it could be a really cool solution to have like this one key block that's waxed. So you have to wait for the one. But then after that, you could have as many as you want, which means that like you could have, if you set it up right, you could you could have, is it four stages or three? It's four, uh, It's right? four, four total if you count the initial stage. So it's, it's right. like ordinary copper, lightly weathered, semi-weathered, and then fully weathered. Right. So you could have a single block of each stage as your keys and then you could have a line of copper placed next to it after you've waxed each individual one so once you have your main blocks don't break them you know uh then you can uh, wax them and then use those as kind of like a way to cascade a specific stage i you still have to wait like you still have to wait for that stage to happen there's no way to rush it um so i i, I, I like the idea yeah, it's it's got potential. I th- it reminds me most of leaves not decaying if there is a log nearby, um, mm-hmm. which I think in the past has ended up producing a lot of lag because they're effectively ticking every block to make sure that they uh, that there is a, a log nearby. Yeah, so that that has the potential to introduce a little bit of lag, but I think that has been improved a little bit in more recent updates. Um, so yeah, there is potential for something like this. I'm not certain if the mechanic necessarily feels all that intuitive, and Mm. if people are building in the way I think Mojang wants people to build copper roofs, where they are effectively just building the entire thing out of normal copper first, and then taking out blocks and waxing them as they go to preserve them in state, then potentially that's where you're going to see a little bit of clash with that kind of mechanic because people might expect the blocks to weather further and then be wondering why they didn't. And I think the problem there is in Minecraft not really having any in-game communication about how some of these mechanics work and them all being effectively explained by players themselves if they're not intuited naturally as part of gameplay you have to go to the Minecraft wiki to look up how that stuff works and I feel like it might be slightly too complicated for players to feel out on their own. Um, so aside from potentially performance issues, that might maybe be the reason they'd avoid a mechanic like this. But it's an interesting one. And it's good to know that people are still workshopping ideas for copper aging, because I know this is a an issue players might want to see a little bit of, you know, community feedback feeding into the feature before it gets to full release. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that I want to try and build with copper and weathered copper and semi-weathered copper, but I'm still trying to figure out, like, am I just going to be that person that creates a field of this stuff and sets an alarm clock on my phone to say, come back, you know? Yeah, come back in (laughs) three days, I think. In (laughs) in three days or something to make sure that you've got it like that would, yeah. And if you miss it, like, how many people are going to be stuck with reams and reams of fully weathered copper because they forgot or missed the opportunity to go wax it when they, they wanted to? Yeah, I'm st- um, I'm still in favor of using an observer and one of those um, 
sort of ender pearl stasis chambers that you see um etho mm. using where it effectively as soon as one of the blocks converts maybe choose one at random and that activates a trap door that allows an ender pearl to impact with a block and then you get teleported back to your copper field in the spawn chunks right ready to harvest anything that's then turned into the next stage of weathering i feel like that's probably the way i'm going to end up doing it in the long run if i want the blocks to be pre-weathered ahead of time yeah yeah, probably too. Last email, which is probably going to lead into our main discussion this week, is from Alexander the Great, GR8, which I thought was very clever. Uh, diversifying lighting with the glow squid. Hey, Joel and Picks. In the last latest snapshot, glow squids were added alongside glow ink sacs. However, I'm a bit disappointed by the current use of glow ink sacs. The feature to light up signs with the glow ink sacs did not seem to work in any testing I did in my snapshot world. And while the glowing item frames are cool, how often will I be putting item frames in a dark place where I want the item to be framed up and glowing and stand out? What would uh, be neat would be to add some of the lighting which would be crafted from glowing sacks and regular ink sacks, called, say, black light. This new light source would be functionally identical to sea lanterns, uh, but have a darker aesthetic. I noticed that light sources are currently uh, in the game, sorry, that are currently in the game, either have a very light, see sea lanterns and rods, soul torches, uh, and lanterns to an extent, or have an implied orange glow, see torches, lanterns, jack-o'-lanterns, redstone lamps, shroom lights, etc. It, it would be neat to diversify the lighting options to allow black or near black block to emit light without having to conceal jack-o'-lanterns under black carpet. Want to hear your thoughts on this? Catch you in a flash, winky face, Alexander the Great. So this leads into our discussion, lights that aren't lights. <laughs> um, and, and this is an interesting one. Having, especially having played a fair bit of Minecraft RTX recently, I can certainly think of one instance in which lights which aren't lights can still be lights. And that's where this black light idea kind of appeals to me because, yeah, having a realistic lighting environment not only allows for colored light, which I think is one of the places that vanilla Minecraft is always going to have a deficit. Um, I feel like the reason you see all of these lights which have a very kind of either pale or a more tungsten warm orange glow to them uh, in the block texture is because that's the only color of light Minecraft vanilla has. And having anything else emit that light of a different color kind of emphasizes the stark contrast between the light source block and the light it emits, right? And so even with stuff like, you know, soul lanterns and uh, soul torches, campfires, that kind of stuff, it still emits the same color of light and you can sort of forgive it because you just assume, well, it's burning sort of white hot and that gives the same impression. But having effectively a sea lantern but with the inverse color palette... Uh, you find yourself getting into, well, how is this still producing such a a, a warm glow to it when the, the light source itself should feel like, you know, ultraviolet or something. It should feel like you're in a laser tag place. Um, and so, yeah, while, while I think I'm in favor of the creative range that having more concealable light sources gives you, I still don't know if vanilla Minecraft is the right place to have light sources of so many different colors and uh, and different designs like that. Um, but I think this this sort of leads into uh, a little bit of discussion about the the glow stuff that we we 
skipped over a little bit in the news, where glow item frames, while they do appear to visibly glow on the wall, don't actually produce any block light. And as a result, the effect is much more subtle and either stands out or completely fades into the background and looks like a normal item frame and there really isn't much in between so the utility of them is especially as far as player functionality is concerned is relatively limited right now and so we thought it would be worth diving into this and seeing how we feel about it so i'm thinking that one of the things that you could use this non-block light emitting light source in a glow item frame for a lot of times people use item frames and this is without any kind of like data pack for like say a armor stand or whatever but if you wanted to have an item flat on a surface or you know to simulate like a plate of fish or something like that and you're in a build where you don't want to have block like level 15 or something or the torches don't work for your design it would be kind of cool if all this work went into this build and you finally put your plate of fish on the table and you can't see the fish because it's too dark Mm-hmm. a glow item frame would be just enough to maybe light that up and have it look not like it's glowing, but that it at least doesn't disappear. It's kind of like the light glitch that happens with upside down stairs, you know, like by all intents and purposes, the roof of my keep, the rafters should be pitch black. Like you should not be able to see up there, but because the stairs are upside down and up up against other stairs, there's a little bit of light that comes through and it, so it, it doesn't break the immersion, but at least lets you see the detail work that I've put into the rafters without having to put torches up there everywhere. And I feel like there's a delicate balance that you have to walk because players are so used to light equaling block light yeah. in, in Minecraft. And uh, I know that I get very used to and then get very confused when there is a Minecraft update and Optifine has not cut up because I very often use a torch in my offhand so that not only I can see what I'm doing, but my Twitch chat can see what I'm doing. Because in the nether sometimes, you just, it's just dark. You know, that, that tunnel I made of, out of blackstone, you couldn't see anything, <laughs> you know? Um, but if I had a torch in my offhand giving off not block light, but just ambient light in the game visually, it helped a great deal. Um, I feel like there's probably some epic builders out there that are going to find some really cool uses for this. I do find the level of light that it gives quite subtle. And again, disclaimer, I've only spent maybe 10 minutes in the snapshot, but I didn't find it that useful off the top of my head. Um, but then again, like, do I want it to glow like the sun? No. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because then if you have this really cool moody storage system, well, I guess the idea then is that you don't use a glow item frame. You know, like I just, it's, I'm just, I'm struggling to find the use case for this. And I feel like glow lichen might be easier to use than the glow item frame. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on board here. I think, um, we, we'll, we'll get to glow lichen in a second. I had one more thing I wanted to say about oh, the, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the glow item ahead. frames and glow ink in general is that, like the glow squid itself, this is very much an aesthetic addition to Minecraft and not one that really has function. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's going to rub a few people the wrong way because people are very uh, very interested in seeing more functionality. 
added to Minecraft, which means things like block light that affect mob spawning or drops that are crafted into other things that maybe make, you know, redstone components or other things. And this is very much an aesthetic thing on a sub-block level as well. This isn't even, you can craft like a, a whole block like, say, honeycomb blocks were, where it's like, well, at least we have a building block that we can get out of this. And so this time around, it's only really affecting luminosity of signs and item frames and like the glow squid itself ultimately doesn't end up being much other than aesthetic change and if the glow squid is just all about aesthetics uh in 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 all caps spaced out uh then that's that's cool i i think i think it's interesting for it to have a very specialized kind of path into this when you know we have things which have a more broad use like how we've seen amethyst shards being part of a telescope crafting recipe and also tinted glass and also a whole new range of blocks and you know potentially if we get them further down the road crafting recipes for tough and calcite as well you know and i i think maybe if the glow squid is all about aesthetics then that's fine it would just be cool to know if that was the developer's intention for it or if they had more stuff in mind for it and and to what extent the aesthetic direction could be pushed with the same line of thinking that's gotten us glowing item frames and glowing sign text um so i'd love to hear once again community feedback on that would be be really cool uh to see where else the aesthetic line could go um glow lichen though so uh it feels like a counterpoint to glow berries for me glow lichen gives off a very low light source i think it's it's seven which is not enough to block mob spawns so again as far as functionality goes that as an addition doesn't help us much in the mob spawning region. It's not the kind of thing that's going to prevent you from uh, getting mob spawns in caves where glow lichen is growing on the walls. But I think you can maybe make a case for players using it to, say, light up the area inside of a mob spawner with glow lichen growing all over the walls so that you can see that everything in there is working right without it having to be pitch black. And even if you have tinted glass so that that doesn't let light through, you can still see nice. into the spawner and see the effect of everything. Um, I think you're going to find a lot of people using it for the kind of stuff I'm really interested in, dynamic sort of um, mood lighting in cave builds. I think it's going to be really good for that, where having a torch with a light level of 14, but having to bury it further down into a cave like putting light sources in a hole somewhere so that you get a lower level of light ambience in the room i feel like glow lichen is going to allow for a bit more of that to uh to happen do we i don't think we know if it grows naturally yet it can be grown artificially with bone meal but i don't know if it's been confirmed whether it spreads the way vines do or if it's just going to hang out on the wall if you put one block of it it stays there as one block uh you can use bone meal to spread it i know that much yeah yeah so uh, I, th I think that's maybe as far as the functionality goes for now but it'd be neat to be able to just pop it down in a room and if it doesn't spread the way vines do it, and you don't have to surround it with string even better as far as i'm concerned because i'd like to be able to paint with light in minecraft a little bit more instead of having to uh you know go through all of these sort of more compromises uh in order to get light levels as low as we want and, yeah, and and put string places where you don't want vines to grow or moss to spread and yes, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing that I uh, I I noticed about the 
glow like in um which i can't seem to discern right now because i was wondering uh if it would be something that could be waterlogged like i know it grows in caves but does water wash it away okay um, so so interesting fact about this right now in the snapshots if anyone's playing in a snapshot world there is a a bug you can exploit that allows you to place water in the nether by waterlogging glow lichen um so oh, it can be okay. waterlogged and is also currently uh yeah presumably this will be patched because water isn't supposed to be in the nether at all but right yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, there there are some properties of it that allow it to be waterlogged and so people are uh yeah messing around with it in the nether in their worlds well that's cool because i think that offers a nice um alternative to seek pickles which uh have light levels of 6 9 12 and 15 uh, and so this being kind of like in that low end of things, you might want to light up a, a brook or a pond or a fish tank or something like that. But maybe you either don't want a pickle in it uh, or the pickles are too bright, you know, um, and, and you want something a little bit more more subtle. Um, while we're on the lichen, I like the design of it. Like, I, I mean, it's a it's a different looking block and it looks like lichen if you've ever i mean lichen obviously comes in a bunch of different varieties but generally it's kind of like a grayish green a little bit of blue in there um and while i like the way that it looks and i i like how it goes on top of other things uh it also doesn't match things like uh mossy cobble and mossy brick so you're adding to those things and it works well if it's on top of them but if you go next to them, it looks like a completely different plant, which is fine because moss and lichen are different plants. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, just, it's one of those things where like, I'm always looking for color harmony in the game and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the same color, but often I find like having enough green in a, in a block speckled will be just enough to make it kind of all jive together. And um, I didn't find that this worked very well in that way. However, if you go to a taiga biome, not always everyone's favorite, but the minty grass color in taiga biomes and glow lichen look pretty snazzy together. Yeah, I, I wonder if maybe we would see people using, you know, lichen to just layer on top of cobblestone to get a mossy cobble that feels closer to the grass color of something like a mountain biome. I yeah. feel like that's potentially a way to go with it. Plus, I, I found that those nether sprouts, the uh, really short uh, blue grass that you have to shear mm -hmm. from uh, from uh, warped forests, fits really well with that aesthetic as well. So I can see doing a really interesting cold biome vibe with a few more of these plants that have been introduced recently, just because they don't have to have that bright green that you get baked into the texture of mossy cobblestone and mossy stone brick so yeah, yeah p potentially there is room for something like that in there and yeah i i think i think glow lichen is cool it, it will probably end up i would assume generating in some of the caves that we're going to see added soon um and i think glow berries seem like a much more obvious light source probably on the same light range as torches in terms of block light they're probably looking at 14 or 15 block light whereas lichen is a lot more subtle it's light level seven so i think that's gonna lend a lot of different ambience to exploration when you're going into some of these new caves and they were talking about how they had to uh have some of the ore blocks glow to light up areas of those larger caves when they were demonstrating right. cave generation at minecraft live and that they've been looking for ways to light up caves so that you get that feeling without them having to make such a radical change to ore blocks and potentially make mining a lot easier because you can see where the ores are um and i think glow lichen is potentially if not the only solution then one of the main solutions we'll be seeing for them uh from implementing 
something like that. And I'm trying to look it up right now quickly, but glowberries, I think, have a higher, I think they have a higher light output. Um, yeah. Unless yeah. we don't know. I, I don't know if it's confirmed yet because we haven't seen them in a snapshot, but I I have a feeling just judging from the, the screenshots we've seen that they are, yeah, they're, they're going to be about equivalent to a torch or a, a redstone lamp, I would say. Yeah, we've got a, a to be determined on the Minecraft fandom wiki. There's no entry on actual the actual wiki for them because I don't think we've had a snapshot to confirm. But but yeah, like that that and that again sounds like you know between uh, pickle uh, sea pickles glowing at a higher level, maybe glowberries glowing at a higher level than having the glow lichen be at that lower range. Um, similar to like, I've often, I've wanted to use things and I believe I've used, there's things like, uh, ender chests and what are the other things that are, that are low glow that you, that you don't think about much because they're, they're not bright enough to use as an actual light source, but they're good if you want something really subtle. The drawback with of course, ender chests is that they have the particles for the, you know, the purple particles that they kind of suck into themselves. Do, do, um... Oh gosh, I'm blanking on it. Um, enchantment tables glow? Do they have a light level? I don't think they do. Um, I think that some of this is different on Bedrock versus Java as well. Like blue, right. blue ice on Bedrock gives off a light level of five, which is something really? I I only discovered when I was exploring my RTX world, and I found an incredibly glowy iceberg at one point, and I was like, <laughs> okay, that is that is a choice because that absolutely does not happen in Java. Um, as far as yeah, lighting blocks. You have things like soul torches give off a light level of more like 10, um, which is low enough to not melt snow layers, but still high enough to light up, um, you know, areas against mob spawning. Yeah. You just have to place them more frequently. Uh, redstone ore, when you touch it, gives off a light level of 9, although temporarily, because it basically turns itself off a random amount of time afterwards. Um, the upcoming candles give off a light level of 9 as well. Um, sea pickles if you put two of them or three of them together i think gives you a light level of nine um regular single sea pickles give you a light level of six respawn anchors are seven redstone torches are seven things like magma blocks i think give off a uniform light level of three now where previously they didn't have any light level and there was a bug that meant they would effectively kind of pick up the light level of blocks placed nearby um, things like brewing stands and brown mushrooms and things have a single block glow that is really not enough to light anything around them, but the block itself gives off a uh, a one piece block light. So it's uh, yeah, th there's a range of things, but so many of them are not the kind of things that you necessarily want around. They they sort of ruin the the ambience you're trying to create by their presence, like you said with the uh, the ender chest giving off particles. So I think it is good now that we're going to be seeing a little bit more atmosphere in caving that we get lighting to match that at this stage yeah i i do to to alexander the great's point i know we're not going to get a a, a function i say i shouldn't say never but i i find it unlikely that we'd ever get a, a situation where you could use glow ink sacks to make anything that you want glow uh but I kind of feel like maybe the opposite would be nice. And I think it was well run for fun in our chat. Mentioned something about quark where you could glow, you could dye glowstone. So you didn't change the color of the light coming from the glowstone, but you changed the color of the glowstone. So the texture would be blue or green or red or whatever. Uh, and then kind of like make you feel 
like it's red light or blue light. And that's and that's what I do all the time in my nether builds is that I put red, orange, or yellow carpet over regular white light to kind of like fake it, you know? And then I yeah. use uh, stained glass. Now, my stained glass texture is seamless and does not have the little dashed lines in it. So it does, if you hide the edges, really look like a ambient glow of like orange or something coming up a wall. Um so dyeing the actual light sources without changing the light color, because that's not possible, uh, would be one solution for that. And I think maybe a better one, like I'd rather be able to dye glowstone than use something like a glow ink sack to then make whatever I want glow. We're still in the early stages of this as well. Like we're mm. still we're still potentially going to see a few changes and community feedback now that we know the glow squid drops glow ink could potentially lead to a couple of other things being mm-hmm. being implemented in the near future. I, I kind of agree with Alexander the Great's point about how often you're going to put item frames in a dark place where you want the item in the frame to stand out. And going back to one of the things you said earlier, we don't know, I, I haven't done enough testing to find out if the glow item frame can be made invisible, which I know isn't necessarily a survival feature if you don't want to use cheats, but a lot of people now using things like the armor stand data packs that allow you to pose armor stands also has a functionality that turns item frames invisible so that you can have, you know, uh, a a shovel resting on a crafting table or a piece of steak on a table or something like that. And I wonder if hiding these item frames but allowing the items to still look like they're glowing is potentially a way, you know, environment builders, map makers, that kind of stuff could use those to, to their advantage. It's almost too bad that item frames require a block attached to them so that they will not break off. Yeah. Because you could have, I'm thinking in terms of like, you know, sea lanterns and, and, and not sea lanterns, um, like Chinese lanterns, like little floating lights in the sky, you know? Um, Because between candles coming, which we haven't talked about at all, <laughs> uh, and and also the ability to have like other items glow like you could come up with some really cool interesting intricate uh ways of of not lighting your build but like mood lighting your build i guess is the best way to discern to this to the differences i'm i i'm really curious about this like i i, I want to be clear that i don't want to sound too negative on it because it's so early in the stage but i'm just really curious to see how mojang is going to differentiate into your point a clear way for the player that yes this glows but uh oh it's not going to stop creepers you know yeah uh, and also give enough aesthetic oomph where it's more like there's more variety to it because like a lot of the stuff that like to your point doesn't block mob spawns or has this ambient glow it's just too low or the block itself is we'll say unappealing to the general population um, so that it doesn't get used. Cause like there's stuff that you've mentioned in the last five minutes from like, I forgot that even emitted light, like mm-hmm. brown mushroom block, totally forgot about that, you know? And we are getting to a point where there is just so much in the game now. And I know that people are always clamoring and excited for new things and new blocks. Like I forget half of the stuff that's in the game. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm, I, it's nice now to defer to the hive mind of the constructive, you know, feedback and the passionate players that will be, you know, able to, to look at stuff and, and do some neat things. I, uh, one last thing before we wrap up, um, that I'm curious about is 
things like the text on signs. I know that people have used signs in in builds and subblock builds for like details and things like that. I'm now curious to know like if you can get colored uh text on a sign to show up in dark situations like what if you're hiding most of that sign like what if the idea is to have that text kind of like floating in the background behind something or like through a crack in a wall or like i don't i feel like there's a way there has to be a way to have some sort of cool design on that sign that isn't necessarily like your average you know alphanumeric keyboard stuff uh and then use that as a glowing feature in your build you know like i just it's i'm it's just so early that I'm still just like having these moments of like, oh yeah, you could use it for that. So it's it's hard to really predict and form an opinion on. Like we get a lot of email where people are like, what's your opinion on that? It's like, I don't know because <laughs> it's so new, right? <laughs> yes, but uh, we'd love to get more emails with your opinions on how you feel about uh, the glow squid, about glow item frames, glow lichen, and any of the stuff that we've discussed today. Uh, Joel will have the email address for you one more time in a second, but I think that is where we're going to leave this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, consider putting some value back in. You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks, where joining our community community gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat pledging at basically any level gets you into the discord you can listen to the show live as it is recorded and you also get us closer to our next milestone goal which is a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our patrons where instead of talking about what we've done in minecraft we talk about what you've done in minecraft uh we're currently at 223 patrons which is up from last week once again thank you so much to everyone who's hopped on board recently and special thanks as always go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance tell them about the spawn chunks and where they can go to listen to it where might that be? On iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Honestly, wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide and other series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolios at joelduggan.com. You'll also find links to my other podcast there. It's The Citadel Cafe at thecitadelcafe.com. Imagine that. Talked about WandaVision last week, as well as Kim's Convenience. A lot of fun on that show with Brockett. You can find me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am going to be playing more Minecraft and more other things. Who knows? Stay tuned. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and there's a lot to liken.